like you to stand with me. We're going to read together a passage from Scripture out of 1 Timothy. So you need a Bible for this part. If you lack one, Maud can supply one to you. But we're going to turn to 1 Timothy in the 6th chapter. We're going to read a section from verses 6 to 10 and the verses 17 to 19. 6 to 10, 17 to 19 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. So I have NIV, whatever you have, let's sing it out to the Lord. There we go. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, reading together through the 10th verse. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they will take hold of the life that is truly life. Thank you. you. may be seated. The reason we stand is to honor God and to honor God's word. And we're in a series entitled Sowing Generously. Our first week, we introduced the topic, and we sent out 70 bags of produce to the Hillcrest neighborhood, blessing the people there, sowing generously, inviting people there to enter into relationship with us as we launched our generosity experiment. The second week, we looked at what is stopping us from being generous, from sowing generously, and reflect on a topic, namely impulse buying, that's afflicting many of us. Last week, we looked at three laws concerning uh, generosity, the first being the law of sowing and reaping, stated that whatever a man or woman sows, that also will they reap. If a person sows sparingly, they reap sparingly. If they reap If they sow generously, they reap generously. If they sow a little, they reap a little. If they sow a lot, you get the picture, they reap a lot. And then the law of the heart, that we give what we've decided in our hearts to give, and that God loves a cheerful giver. And then the law of supply, that God is able to make all his grace abound toward us, that we might abound to every good work. This morning, we move our study from 2 Corinthians over to 1 Timothy. This Sunday falls between the Republican and Democratic National Conventions. One of our own, Kathy Avzali, who is a delegate to the Maryland Legislature, was also a delegate to the Republican Convention. She went with her daughter to Tampa. Between the Republicans and the Democrats, Americans have very, two very different approaches to economic growth and prosperity. No one will deny, will they, that the last four years have been very challenging? College graduates are finding it hard to enter the job market. Very few jobs are being created from companies that are expanding. In some places in America, like where Scott is from, unemployment is in the double digits. Wages over the last few years have been reduced or remain stagnant. One business owner told me at their business meeting that the wages are about 78% of what they were four years ago, not to mention house values. So it seems that the issue that most Americans are thinking about, struggling with, is the economy and economic growth. So the question before us is, do we keep the current administration 
with its effort to move forward in the area of education, opportunity, job creation? Or do we vote in a new administration with the hope of balancing the budget, not increasing taxes, and jump-starting the economy? These are choices that we all will make, that is those 18 and over, in the next 60 days. I'm going to call for our church to pray, to pray for the direction of our country, to pray about this election and the leaders of our land. What you're about to hear um, is not a political treatise. It's not the subject of a pl political speech because politics has to do with programs and policies. What I'm about to talk to you about is the heart. We are discovering God's upside-down economy, which is to agree with Scripture that says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. It is more blessed to give than receive, and a generous man will be blessed. I was sitting at a table last, um, the last few Monday nights with some men, and um, we were answering the question, what new wine is God pouring into our lives? And two of the men there said that God is dealing with them in the area of generosity, learning to be open-handed with their giving, being generous with the resources. I mean, nothing makes a pastor happier than to hear about the movement inside of a heart of a person becoming generous. One of our young men at the table, his name is Daniel Christensen, and he's been bringing a generous amount of figs to the table. I say that we're having together fig fellowship. The figs are dark red on the outside and lighter red on the inside, and I'm seriously blessed by these figs that Daniel's bringing from his tree. Then last Saturday, Daniel's mother, Sandy, brought figs to our prayer retreat. Uh, I must confess, I made three trips to the fig bowl to uh, partake. I grew up eating uh, fig newtons, you know, and saying, you know, it's a fig newton of your imagination. That kind of thing. But these figs from this tree are much better than any fig newton I've ever had. Okay? I love figs. Then on Wednesday, Daniel's father, Sandy's husband, Kyle, brought me a huge plate of figs, enough figs to last me several days. And what I see in this family is a pattern that's emerging of generosity. They don't keep what they have to themselves. They share freely their bounty. They bless me with their figs because they know there's just more figs to harvest. Now, I have a theory. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's true also in my garden. In the years when uh, God has blessed me with many tomatoes and I just give those tomatoes away, it almost seems when you give the first fruits away, God makes more tomatoes grow upon those vines. And this fig tree, I've never seen this fig tree, but I just imagine as they're picking figs, kind of blessing me with figs, just God's making more of these figs to grow. It's beautiful when somebody gets the concept of generosity and begins to practice it in their life. And this week, a woman was telling me her story. Her family, like many families, was accruing debt over the last few years. So they went to a course we were offering, teaching called Financial Peace. And the first step was to discover how much debt they were carrying. How many know that debt can be a heavy load? And they were sagging under the weight of this debt. So they met with a financial counselor and they began to, you know, attack their debt. Well, to get out of debt, most financial counselors would say, what you need to do is you need to begin to know where your money is going. You need to develop a spending plan. You need to begin paying off the debt. So first thing you do is you pay off the debt. Not many financial counselors will tell you 
to give the Lord his first. But this family, even though they were in debt, resolved to honor the Lord with the first fruits. And this is what she said. In the last year since we have been tithing, we have so much more than before we were tithing, and we're climbing progressively, inch by inch, out of debt. Now I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that God is generous, and you cannot outgive God. I believe that generosity is part of God's DNA, and we bear the divine image, the divine nature, the nature of the Holy Spirit the new nature is inside of us. So we are also, our DNA is generous. But I believe we've made choices. And because of our choices, we find it hard to be generous. But there's another choice we can make to get ourselves into alignment with God. And when that happens, we enter into alignment with God, we begin to experience the blessings of God. He says, bring the whole tithe into his storehouse, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so many blessings into your life, you can't contain them all. (laughs) Many of us just don't understand this concept of generosity. So there was this guy named Michael, and on a Saturday morning, he was taking out his garbage behind his house in an alleyway. And there in the alley was a homeless man sifting through the garbage in the dumpster, trying to find something to eat. So Michael had been just begun his journey of tithing and listening to being generous. So he asked the Lord, how do you want me to be generous to this man? And the Lord said, I want you to give him something. So he said to the man, I'd like to give you something. So he reached into his pocket and he pulled out his billfold And the only thing there was a $50 bill. Now, what he was thinking about doing was giving this guy a dollar, you know, or maybe $5, or maybe 10. But the only bill he had was a 50. But he'd promised he's going to give this guy something. So he took the $50 bill out of his billfold and gave it to the man. And something happened in Alloway. He didn't expect it to happen. The homeless man began to weep. He said, I've never been given a gift like this before. It was a very touching, moving moment for him to be used of God, to be his hands and feet, and bless this homeless man. So later that morning, he went to Home Depot. He was doing some renovation inside of his house. So he loaded up his cart and was checking out. There were several people standing in line. One of the Home Depot employees saw him and brought to him a 10% certificate coupon to be used toward his purchase. I mean, there's a lot of different people standing in line, but he was the chosen one. And when he paid his bill, all but $1 had been covered with that 10% coupon. You see, it's true that if we give, it'll be given unto us. It may not happen the same morning. Now, what this man believes is that God was showing his pleasure to him for having a heart toward the poor. He wondered, why did this employee single me out? Out of all the people in line, why was I the chosen one? And he believes that he was chosen by God. Now to our scripture for the morning, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
I'm asking the question, is the search inside of our hearts a search for prosperity, for gain? Or is our deepest search, is our deepest longing, desire for contentment? Going back to our political speeches, it seems that the emphasis you'll hear in political speeches is on prosperity having more than enough. But the scriptures are painting a very different portrait of what is good. Advertisers would have us believe that there is great gain with consumerism, acquiring their product. I was recently in the Verizon store. I had downloaded a new software and could not retrieve my email from my cell phone. So as I was standing there with a technician, one of the salesmen came up to me and said, have you considered the new iPhone 5? Well, I didn't have an iPhone 4, and I didn't have an iPhone 4S, but he continued saying all the accessories are coming in for the iPhone 5, and it'll be able to do much more than your droid ever could. Now, he was making an assumption to me. He was saying that you really need the newer and the faster and the shinier and the better product to be content. He was saying if I buy this iPhone 5, then my soul will be content and he will get a commission. So in America, in a very prosperous country, we think we deserve an iPhone 5. What's the matter with the iPhone 4? What's the matter with the iPhone, iPhone 4S? We think we deserve the iPhone 5. We think we deserve the iPad 3. What's wrong with the iPad? What's wrong with the notepad? What's wrong with the pencil and paper pad? We think we deserve a better car. What's wrong with the one you drive? You see, contentment cannot be purchased. Contentment is a matter of the soul. Contentment is to be satisfied with who God is and his provisions in your life. You see, he's drawing up an equation here in this verse, I want you to hear, that godliness plus contentment is great gain. You see, godliness is putting God first. Godliness is honoring the Lord. Godliness is paying more attention to what God says than any other person says, to what God thinks than anybody, anybody else thinks. You see, godliness is dying to ourself. Godliness is taking ourselves off the throne. Godliness is putting Christ on the throne of our lives, making him first. And he says that godliness plus contentment equals great gain. When you are satisfied with God and who God is and what God provided for you, then you can rest and not strive after what you do not have. Contentment is satisfaction with God and God's provision. You see, when you are satisfied, you don't really need anything else. When you are satisfied, you are happy with what you have. When you're satisfied, you have enough. When you're satisfied, you're not striving for the newer or the better or the shinier. Paul is separating here financial gain from contentment. Paul would have uh, maybe smiled at what I'm about to tell you. There was a story of a king, and the king did not have contentment. And he wanted to have contentment and peace in his life. And so he went to his very wise counselors and he said, How do I find contentment? And his wise counselors said, what you need to do is find somebody in your kingdom who is content, who's wearing a shirt. And when you wear the shirt of the contented man, you yourself will be content. 
So the people went out searching for this contented man and could find none within the kingdom. But there on the edge of the kingdom was a man without a shirt who was contented. And the man's name was Michael Dixon. Little joke. <laughs> the pursuit of material riches is empty then and futile. Ecclesiastes verse, chapter 5 verse 10 says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their wealth. The poet Barnes said that contentment is a constant feast. He is the richest who requires the least. Contentment of the soul, then, is a continual feast before God of God's goodness to us, of being thankful. And he's the richest who requires the least. Contentment is linked then to godliness. This is not teaching us that contentment is self-sufficiency as the Greeks taught it. But contentment is Christ-sufficiency. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Philippians 4. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances of my life are. I know what it is to be in need. If there ever was a person who faced need, the Apostle Paul faced need while he was in prison. A need for company, a need for his writings, his books, a need for something to eat, for something to drink. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, to live in abundance. I have learned to be content, the secret of being content, in ev any and every circumstance, whether being well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul had found the secret of contentment, that in Christ he was a rich man. In Christ he had his sufficiency and his strength. And Christ was enough for him. If you are a believer, you have received incredible wealth, incredible riches from God. God has lavished his grace upon you. You're not a poor soul. You're a wealthy soul. So whether we are in need, we are shoeless or shirtless or homeless, or whether we have plenty with shoes on our feet or shirts on our back or roof over our head, if we are in Christ, we are very, very wealthy. So it's not about a quest for material wealth. What is it all about? Well, verse 7 gives us some insight into this question. He says, we brought nothing into this world, and we'll take nothing out of this world. Birth and death are bookends to appraise the gains of material wealth. Speaking first to birth, he says, well, you brought nothing into this world. What did you bring into this world? The answer, absolutely nothing. You had to borrow a diaper when you came to this world. The greatest thing, however, is to come into the world feeling loved and welcomed and belonging. But from an asset perspective, you didn't have anything. Then speaking to death, that we can take nothing out of this world. When the famous rich man John D. Rockefeller died, somebody asked, how much did he leave behind? And his aide said, he left it all behind. <laughs> Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. We enter this world without possessions. We exit this world also without possessions. But Paul then offers a biblical perspective 
on contentment. He says, but if we have food, verse 8, if we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. If we have food, if God supplies what we need to eat and drink, if we have covering, if we have clothing on our back, if we have a roof over our head, if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Everything flows from the sovereign hand of God blessing our lives. He is the source of every blessing. Think about it for a moment, that loaf of bread. Before that was a loaf of bread, it was first of all in a bakery. And the bakery had flour. And the flour came from wheat that was crushed at the mill. And behind the mill was the soil and the grain that grew. And behind all of that was God who made it grow to sent the seasons and the rain and the sunshine. You know, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread and give thanks back to God, we're really praying a corporate prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. If God blesses Bob with two loaves of bread and I am hungry, what God has done is give to him an abundance with which he can share with his neighbor, Pastor R. It's been said that Americans drink now $60 billion worth of diet soda. Somebody said to solve the world's problem, all we need is $30 billion to feed the hungry in our world. If we drank half the soda we drank and gave half of it to global hunger, we could solve the global hunger issue. So who's up for drinking half the diet soda? Who's up for giving it all away? You see, if godliness... And contentment is great gain. What is the great loss of our souls? Now comes the warning in the text. You'll see it in verse number 9. But those who want to get rich, those that have a desire to get rich, hmm, they fall into a trap and temptation, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Over there is the real estate agent who desires to get rich, who isn't really tending to the needs of the client. Over there is the businessman who wants to get rich, who's gouging the customer. Over there is the politician who wants to get rich, who really isn't serving the national interest. You see, he's saying that those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap. You see, there's, Jesus talked about the fact that you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon deserves desires to be worshipped, to have control over people's life. You see, money is simply the instrument by which mammon seeks to have power. You see, mammon is a false god, a rival god to God, a god who tries to deceive us into thinking that money is power and money is influence and money is our security. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. They get ensnared by the spirit of mammon. What matters is the making, the acquiring, the keeping of money. You see, money is a necessary commodity. And the problem isn't money. The problem is, verse 10, it is the love of money. You see it. Perhaps the most misquoted scripture in all of scripture. The issue isn't money. The issue is the love of money. It's a root of all kinds of evil. You have a yard, right, where things grow. 
And sometimes weeds grow in your garden. And you want to take the weed out. So what you do is you try to pull that weed out. But you snap it at the base of the weed. You haven't gotten the root of it. The root is still there. Because that weed is deeply rooted, what happens is because you didn't pull the root out, other weeds begin to spring up out of that root system. What he's saying is the deeply rooted thing inside of us is this love of money that must be rooted out. There is then powers and principalities behind money. There is a rival God in money. There are many who serve money. It's money which we argue about. It's money which we worry about. It's money with which we try to leverage people. It's money that kind of uh, helps us keep score. So money has become elevated to a very high level in American culture. Then verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. He's talking about the dark side of money. Not to be arrogant, not to be full of themselves, not to be haughty, thinking they're better than somebody else, thinking they're clever with their investments, thinking they're powerful now that you have some money. Command those in this present world not to be arrogant or to put our hope in wealth. Don't get obsessed with your wealth, which is so uncertain. You see, how many know that wealth is so uncertain? Currencies go up and currencies go down. Investments rise and investments fall, right? Stocks go up and stocks go down. The investments of this world are very uncertain. So don't put your hope in your earthly wealth. He's saying to put your trust and your hope in God who richly provides all things for your enjoyment. To be at home at your house with a cup of herbal tea and a big bowl of blueberries and just be content with the provisions that God has made. If you have something, he's saying, enjoy what you have. God has given it to you for your enjoyment. God wants to be enjoyed himself and give us provisions with which we can enjoy and share with others. But money and the quest after money can make us very angry. We got a little clip now we want to show you called The Money Rant. I'll be back. How you doing? You know, I'm going to open a can of worms with this one, I think, all right? This one here is the big enchilada, amigos, all right? So and what, you have to forgive me in advance if, if this stings a little. You're going to you're gonna have to cut me a little slack if this convicts or challenges you because I'd never want to do that. No, what I'm about to talk about is things people don't like to talk about. It goes up there with religion and politics. It's one of those things you don't talk about if all you want to do is make friends. No, this one here, this is a little different because the love of this thing, the love of it, you know what I'm saying, is the root of all kinds of evil. But on the other hand, without it, you can't do much good. All right, you cracked the code yet? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, money, M-O-N-E-Y. Yeah, the almighty dollar, the cash, the cabbage, the greenbacks, the gravy, the loot, the moolah, whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? I got my own personal favorite, the dead president. The higher number on the dollar bill, the goofier the president, the more hands want to touch it. Go figure. You know what? We ask a lot of questions about these presidential papers, don't we? Yeah, how are we going to spend it? How am I going to use it? My own personal favorite? Huh? Huh? 
How am I going to act like I don't have any so my relatives don't bother me anymore? Or how am I going to miss the offering plate every time it passes by? And of course, the dominant Republican question, how am I going to invest and how do I keep it from the IRS? Yeah, money, the big, big question. But there's one question we always leave out, at least I do. Whose is it? I mean, whose money is it really? That is the million-dollar question, pardon the pun, right? I know some might say, hey, it's my money because I work hard with these hands. Yeah? Who gave you the hands, buddy? Right? You're smarter than some who gave you the brains. You're driven who gave you the ambition. Right? I know you can arrange a lot of things on your own, but you can't tell me you arranged your birthplace, who your parents were, who your friends are going to be, what schools you went to, the technology that was going to be there, the people that came before you to pave the way, the people are here now to lighten the load. Huh, you didn't arrange that, did you? Should I go on? No, 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 no. I don't think so. You know, I suppose all I'm trying to say is this, people. All right. I got a big wake-up call last year. I got my kid an Xbox 360. I threw it on the floor. Boom, that's yours. I got every possible imaginable accessory that there is. Everyone you can think of, the cordless, wireless, bang-bang, the flip-flop, the yip-yap, everything you could possibly think of. Even threw in an HD plasma so everybody could see it beautifully. A couple of dozen games. I said, hey, we're off to a good start. One day I come home and I said, hey, son, you mind if I play the game? You're only sitting there over in the corner. Maybe Dad can give it a shot. You know what he says to me? No, that's mine. Wait your turn. Needless to say, I did a 180 on the 360. And now that sucker sits comfortably in my own personal home theater. And I'm the only one with the key. You know why? Because everything in that baby is mine. Amen. Yes, well, how many have done a 180 on 360? How many got a little cynical about money? How many have a real trust issue when it comes to money? How many want to move to becoming more generous? Listen to the scripture here as it speaks to you about this pathway into generosity, verse 18. Command them, he's speaking to us now, command them who are rich in this present world to do something good with their money, to be rich with their good deeds. That's what God wants us to be, is rich with good deeds. Let our, let our lives be marked by generosity. Yesterday I was home working on the, I was working at home and a Sears repairman came to look at our refrigerator. Now, he wasn't a young man. <clears throat> he was, it was pretty warm outside. He was sweating pretty profusely. And I wanted to do something generous towards him. So I offered him some water. And I said, hey, would you like to have a glass of water? And he said, no, kind of gruffly, I got something in the truck. So I continued to pursue him on, toward generosity. I said, I got something better than water. He said, what do you got? And I said, would you like to have a peach? We just went to the orchard, and I'd like to give you a peach. And he said, for me, a peach? So I went inside, and I picked for him our best, plumpest, juiciest peach. And when I gave it to him, he's a little bit overwhelmed by all this. And he said to me, you know, I'm from West Virginia. And when I was five years old, I began drinking peach brandy. And the peach you give me reminds me of my story. When I was 19 years old, I was drinking a lot. I drank a gallon of peach brandy with my relatives. And I scared myself. And at that moment, I resolved I wouldn't drink again. And I said, you're free. And he said, yes, I am free indeed. He was talking about the fact that Jesus had come into his life. Question, would I have heard his story if I hadn't offered him a peach? When my uh, kids were little, I invite Scott, come on back up. My kids were little, Betsy and Chris. Chris would be at four years old. And Debbie and I had a favorite restaurant we went to. 
And when we went to that restaurant, they had all the mints you wanted to take. So I'd often take a pocket full. And I said to Chris, I said, Chris, you know, here comes two mints at you. If you eat both of them, there's no reward. If you share one with your sister, there's a blessing. But if you give both of them away, there's a huge blessing. So the first time through, he had both the mints, and nothing really happened. The second time this happened, he opened his mint, and he gave one to his sister. And I dropped three or four mints down, simulating coming from heaven on his head. But the third time we tried this, the fourth time, Chris took both mints and gave them both away to his sister. You know what I did? I reached in my pocket, and I dumped these mints on his head. Twenty mints came falling from the heavens, showing him the power of generosity. How many want to move from being wherever you are to a spirit of generosity? Just raise your hand. It begins with a thankful spirit of knowing what you have, of repenting. God is calling us to repent of the patterns passed down to us, the patterns of our life that enabled us to become cynical, not trusting, and holding back from being generous. Generous. God so wants us to develop a generous life. Would you pray with me? So, Father, here we are in this room, and we're studying this beautiful topic of generosity. And there's a movement of your spirit in our lives. We're beginning to taste your generosity. And there's a desire welling up inside of us to become generous even with very meager resources. And each one of us will have to grapple with generosity and let it flow through our souls. But God, would you give us 10,000 reasons to be generous? Would you enable us here to be honest and vulnerable and tell you exactly where we are? That we're having a tough time with trusting we're having a tough time opening up our hand. We're having a tough time believing. We're doubting. Oh, God, would you hear the prayers of your people as we pour our hearts out to you, God? And would you open up the channels of our heart to generosity? Oh, God, please do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh.